Good morning. Let's continue our worship in uh, hearing and responding to the Word of God. Uh, the worship has been uh, wonderful. I, I can't have it figured out yet if, it, if it's clay that makes the choir sound good or if the choir makes him look good. I can't tell what it is, but they're both doing pretty well. We'll, we'll keep them all. Uh, great job. And by the way, I noticed he said the name of our speaker tonight, Alex. I looked at that. I thought, man, how do you say his last name? And he said it. Uh, now, you notice how fast he said it? You know, uh, what I learned a long time ago is if you don't know how to pronounce a word, if you'll do it with authority, people will think, yeah, you know, if you barely skip, barely said it, it's like, well, I don't know if he got that right. So you just say it with authority, and he did. And so I'll just call him Alex. The problem is I will not get to be with you all this evening. Uh, I am leaving after church to uh, go to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, to our Southern Baptist Theological Seminary that is there. That began, by the way, in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, back uh, prior to the Civil War. Moved to Louisville, Kentucky after the Civil War. And well after the Civil War, I taught some of their courses for them <laughs> uh, in your building here when they had a, um, uh, a local branch of it. And so uh, it has a great, uh, great history, and uh, we're glad to support our seminaries, which I can uh, attest uh, are, are filled with Bible-believing preachers and people who are teaching authoritatively the inerrant Word of God. Uh, they're worthy of our support. Okay, Genesis chapter 50. This is the very last chapter of the book of, uh, of Genesis, and we will begin with verse 14. Genesis 50, 14. After he had buried his father... Uh, his father is Jacob. Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. He said, you need to tell Joseph this, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, as you can see, the setting of this story is one that probably every one of us here has experienced more than what we would want to experience. Uh, they have just returned home from the funeral of a loved one of their father. I can assure you that Joseph's head was bowed in sorrow and his heart uh, was filled with pain at the loss of his father. The other brothers were not experiencing this kind of grief as they needed, and there was a reason for that. 
It's because another emotion was so strong in them at this time that it all but eclipsed the emotion of grief that they should have been experiencing. Now, what emotion was that that they were experiencing so powerfully at this time that they couldn't even grieve properly? Well, the text says it was fear. They were afraid. And the text tells us why they were afraid. They were afraid that Joseph, now that their father was dead, was going to unleash all of that pent-up anger and hostility that was in him because of what they had done to him years ago. And it was going to be vented on them and on their children. And they were afraid for their very lives. Now, you say, but wait a minute. Back in chapter 45, didn't they deal with this with Joseph? Uh, didn't he confront them and they talk about this and he say they were forgiven? Yes, that's precisely what happened. He said, well, why are they afraid? They're afraid because they doubted Joseph's sincerity at that time. They thought, well, he just doesn't want to put daddy through any more pain and anguish. And now that daddy's gone, we are going to be the target of his vengeance and his anger. And so they were afraid for their lives. You know, no wonder Joseph just wept. When he said, man, y'all have lived, been living in that fear all that time. Y'all did not trust me that I had forgiven you. But the beautiful thing is Joseph says two remarkable things in response to those. Now, I'm only going to be able to address one of those, but I want to call your attention to both of them. The first one is in the form of a question. He asked them, Am I in the place of God? Is it my responsibility to pay you back for what you did? You see, when he makes that, asks that question, he's actually anticipating what the Bible tells us several other times, and particularly directly in the book of Romans. God said, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. I'll take care of that. And Joseph was just saying, it's not my place to wrong to right the wrongs that have been done. That is God's place. And boy, I commend him for that. That's a lot easier said than done. But then he makes another statement. He says, you all meant what you did to me for evil. But, that's a great word in the scriptures. It's, a, it's showing a contrast. But God meant it for the good. Because God, you see, used what you did to me to save all of us' his life. He sent him down to Egypt to where in the famine, when that famine came, they would be able to feed the children of God, the nation of Israel, and keep them alive so that the promised Messiah hundreds of years later could come through that line. He said, believe it or not, God knew what he was doing. I want to focus on that statement, folks, that, that you meant it for evil, he said, but God meant it for good. Now, the first thing I want to point out this morning, and this will not be news to you, and if I ever get an amen, I figure it would be from this statement. Evil comes to us from a variety of sources. It just does. 
But the second thing I want you to see is we worship a God, the God you just have been singing about, that is so great and so wise and so powerful that he can take those bad things that are done and make good come from them. And he still does that today. Then the third thing I want you to see is we're not just bystanders in this process. God actually uses us. We actually cooperate together with God in bringing good out of evil. Okay. So let's look at what this text teaches us. He says you meant it for evil. Folks, evil comes to us from a variety of sources. The Bible, contrary to other worldviews and even other world religions, takes the problem of evil, the existence of evil, very seriously. Evil really does exist. If you look at a naturalistic worldview that denies the existence of God, folks, they know things are evil, but they can't explain to you why they're evil. They have no, no standard by which to measure evil. Folks, what makes evil to be evil is that it is contrary to the character and nature of a holy God. That's what makes evil evil. If there is no God, there are things we don't like, you know, we wouldn't like it, but you couldn't call it evil. It's evil because it is a violation of the very standards of a holy, righteous God. And the Bible never tries to skirt the issue of evil, pretend that it does not exist, but it gives us an account for the fact that it does exist and that God is dealing with it. And there will ultimately be a time that it is dealt with with finality. It, the Bible takes evil seriously. And evil comes to us through a lot of different means. Because we'll see in this text, sometimes it comes to us through other people. You know, that seems right up front to be unfair, doesn't it? You know, wait a minute. I, you mean I can be minding my own business, doing right, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do, and somebody else can do something evil that has a negative effect on me. Well, that's the way it is. <laughs> you know, God actually created the world in such a way that we interact with each other. And one person's or a group of person's actions can have an effect on us. But you know what I found out? The only times I feel like complaining to God about him creating the world that way is when somebody has done something to me that negatively affects me, okay? I don't complain when somebody does something that positively affects me. Then I'm glad God created the world in such a way that other people can do things that affect me. Okay? But he has created the world that way. Other people can do things that bring evil and wreak havoc in our lives. You can see it in the case here who was responsible for this evil in Joseph's life? Well, first of all, it was his father's fault. Now, you may say, hold it just a minute. Uh, I thought it was the sons who sold him into slavery and lied to the father about it all. That's exactly right. You say, then how's the father involved? Here's how. He, through his 
bad choices set the stage that made this possible. Through his bad actions, he, you see, a lot of times we don't give enough blame to the circumstances that cause a certain thing to happen. You see, they could have never done what they did that was evil if he hadn't have done what he had done that was evil. You say, well, what did he do? Well, he committed maybe what many people would say is the cardinal error of parenthood. Now, my mother had four boys. She said that was the cardinal error of parenthood. <laughs> okay? But that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about making a noticeable difference in how you treat your children that's unjustified. Now, we have to treat them differently, okay? Different circumstances that's unjustified. You see, he showed excessive favoritism to Joseph. And y'all know the story. Uh, the final point came when Joseph shows up wearing that new coat. Now, a lot of us look at it and say, well, the problem was he got a new coat, and they didn't. Folks, that's not the problem, okay? That coat represented the coat of a tribal chieftain, okay? Which was a way of saying he is the one who is prominent among the sons. Folks, he was next to the youngest, okay? That goes to the eldest son in Hebrew culture, okay? Uh, that was making a bad statement Joseph, they were out in the fields working. Joseph didn't even have to work, okay? He made a noticeable difference and set the stage for what was going to happen. And so I say, this was in part his fault. Now, also, we don't want to forget, it was also somebody else's fault. It was these brothers' fault. Yes, they're the ones that did it. Okay. Now, there are some people, believe it or not, that would actually want to try to excuse them based on what I've said before. So, wait a minute. But, but their daddy caused this. He, he, he's the one that caused it. No, his, the daddy did not cause it to happen. He set the stage for the events that made it possible and maybe even likely to happen. Okay. But you see, on the other hand, a lot of times we make the mistake, on the other hand, of blaming circumstances too much. There are people that would say, well, I mean, these guys did what they did because, uh, man, Joseph made them angry. You know, we need to be careful about using that kind of language. He made me angry. Folks, nobody can make you anything. That's a way we have of getting ourselves off the hook of the blame. You know, I was talking to one of my students yesterday. I, I said, uh, how much have you gotten done now? She said, well, not much. I, I have been distracted. I said, ooh, 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 ooh. No, 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 no. You, you're acting like something happened to you. You were distracted. You weren't distracted. You gave your attention to something when it should have been on this. Y'all see the difference? You know, it, it's a whole lot better if we can blame it on somebody else. Well, they made me angry. Folks, that's why a key word today that you're hearing is, well, that person triggers me. Uh, no, uh, that person doesn't trigger you. That person does something and you allow yourself to be triggered. I think I've lost some of you here. <laughs> it's a whole lot easier to use a kind of language that throws the blame over to somebody else. Okay? 
Uh, these people were responsible, even though their father did certain things that confronted them and they dealt with wrongly. You see what they could have done. They didn't have to respond this way. They could have gone to their father and had a conversation with him and said, this is creating a problem among the brothers. They could have gone to their younger brother, as older brothers probably should have, who should have been more mature, and explained to him what was going on and that you need to be real careful and you need to change your way. They didn't do that. And so this evil was brought into his life by his father and his brothers. Now, if you've been uncomfortable up to this point, you're getting ready to get more uncomfortable because there's another person that was responsible for this, bringing this evil into his life, and that was Joseph himself. You say, wait a minute. What did he do? He played his role. You say, wait a minute. He, he, he couldn't help his father showing favoritism to him. That's true, you know. But he could help how he dealt with that and responded to it. He could have had a conversation with his father. He could have had a conversation with his brothers, okay? He didn't have to. In fact, you remember the story. He would have these dreams about his superiority over his brothers. Well, now, folks, I'm not an authority on dreams. I don't know if you can help what you dream or not. You don't have to be authority, though, to know you don't have to tell everybody what you dream. And he seemed to glory in telling this. So it was part his fault. Folks, a lot of the problems and the evil that we are facing, we have to face the fact that sometimes it's our own fault. Certainly not all the time. Sometimes we have health problems. And, and it's because we didn't take care of ourselves. No, that's not all the time. Okay? But sometimes we can say, why did this happen to me? Well, look in the mirror. <laughs> you might find out why it happened. Uh, it's easy for us to want to blame something on, on somebody else. Uh, <clears throat> there was a, 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 a lady in my church uh, came to me one time and she said, Preacher, nobody in this church likes me. Folks, let me say two things there. Uh, if nobody in your church likes you, you're not going to have to tell the pastor. Okay. <laughs> a second thing is, if nobody in the church likes you, there's a reason for it. Because people in the church tend to like one another. Okay. And I won't go into the details, but she falls into the category of what 1 Peter chapter 4 reminds us of. If you suffer, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or a busybody. Okay? I think that might have been her problem. Okay? So why is it that nobody liked her? It's because she made herself unlikable by her actions. She brought it on herself. Folks, evil comes from a variety of sources. I think of a, a person driving an automobile, you know, in a condition in which they shouldn't have been anyway, and they certainly shouldn't have been driving. And they hit somebody and kill them, a drunk driver. Folks, here's a, a young man, a young woman, all their life ahead of them. Their, their parents set their dreams and their hopes on seeing that child grow, and they're not going to see it. Why? Not because of anything they did. It's something somebody else did. And you can have the, uh, you can have the issues multiplied in your, in your mind and maybe even from your own experience. But friends, we do want to remember this, that even though 
Other people can cause the problem. We can cause the problem. Let's don't forget that there is a malevolent being in the world that is called Satan, and he is the one who is ultimately behind it all. We need to understand that because that helps us understand that when these bad things happen, they're not just things happening, okay? There is a spiritual component to it. That means part of the solution to the problem is going to be a spiritual solution. That opens the door for the need of, of prayer. And godly and wise counsel may be from others. But we, we, if you look in the, the first chapter of the book of, of Job, we see that played out where Satan approaches God and, and makes an accusation, a false accusation against Job. And God says to him, okay, do with him whatever you want. You can't take his life. But do whatever you want, okay? And, and notice at the end of all of that, Job looked back. Job never saw this, what that took place before. Job lived and died never understanding why that happened to him. Those of us who read the book of Job see why it happened, but he never saw it. But folks, when he lost everything, he said this, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, was it the Lord that took away, or was it the devil that took it away? Or was it the storms that took it away? Are these marauders that took it away? He didn't distinguish between those. Okay? He understood that ultimately Satan was behind this, but he also understood something else. Folks, God has Satan on a leash. I, I want to call your attention particularly, I think it's verse 10 there in chapter 1 of Job. Where Job says to God, you know, the devil can tell the truth sometimes if it's in his... He said, well, you have a hedge of protection built around him. And God said, you better believe it. I have a hedge of protection built around every one of my children. You don't have free access to my children. You know, you can only do what I allow you to do. Friends, whatever happens to you and whatever happens to me, it never catches God by surprise. And you are not just simply at the whim of Satan to do to you whatever he wants to do. God has a hedge built around you. Well, there's evil in the world. Now, that's bad news. If we stopped right there, you'd go home discouraged. You know, bad things come from a lot of areas. But there's good news, and that is God makes good things come out of bad things. We, we, we see it here. As I just said, everything that happens to you has to come through the hand of God. Nothing that happens to you caught God asleep. It didn't catch him by surprise, and it can't happen without his permission, his knowledge, and his knowledge already of knowing what he's going to do to counteract it. It's all already there. It has to come through there. Now, folks, that does not mean that we're always going to understand what God was doing. A lot of times we're not, okay? We, we only see things partially. We sort of see them from the underside. Shortly after my wife and I got married, uh, we got a, a package from, I think it was one of her cousins in Arkansas. And uh, she hadn't got home yet, and so I opened it up, and I took it out as this piece of cloth, and there were strings all over it, and I thought, what did we ever do to her, you know? Uh, so I... My wife came home, and I said, look, what your cousin Diane sent? And uh, I said, I don't know why she sent us this. And she turned it over, and, well, it was one of those 
what, cross-stitch things? You know, it's like, I was looking at the wrong side of it, okay? That's the side that came looking up, okay? When you turned it over, it looked different. It made sense. There was a pattern to it. In fact, it was a thing of beauty. We're having to look at what God is doing from below without fully understanding, and a lot of times there's some loose threads that are not tied down. There's some things that don't look very pretty, but I'll tell you, it does to God because he sees the whole picture, and we don't always see it. We see it, God doing something here in, in uh, Joseph's case. We, we said uh, he was, uh, all of this that he went through, folks, he never understood why he ended up in prison. He never understood why he was falsely accused. He never understood why he was sold into slavery by his own family. He never understood that while it, while it was happening. But, you know, through the whole thing, he just continued to trust God. God was working something out whether he saw it or not. But let me give you the biggest, the greatest example of that. Of God taking evil and making good come from it. What is the most evil thing that has ever happened in the, all of the annals of human history? What was the greatest act of injustice that has ever been perpetrated on the face of this earth? Folks, that was the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. That's the worst thing that ever happened. That's the greatest act of injustice that there has ever been. But let me ask you what, something. What's the greatest thing that ever happened in all of the annals of human history? It was the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. That means God can take the worst thing that ever happened and make it be the best thing that ever happened. And I'll assure you, if he can do that, he can take anything of yours in the middle and do the same thing. God is up to doing it. He can accomplish the task, and he is doing it. And we see the same thing. You can see examples of it in your own life, of where bad things have happened. And you've looked and thought, you know, they're really good came out of this. Now, folks, let's also be honest. Sometimes we're like Joseph. Our case is where we can finally look at it and say, oh, that's what God was doing. Isn't he smart? Well, this is great. But folks, listen, there are other times that we may be like Job and we may never understand why he did it. We may never. That doesn't mean there's not a reason. It just means we didn't see it. It just means. But you know what? He lets us see it at times. So when we do not see it, we still know to trust him. If there are things that are going on in your life right now that you say, well, I don't see how this is going to turn out for the, the good, I would just say, well, quit looking at that and look at those situations where you do see where God brought good and realize you've got the same God with the same love, with the same fatherly attitude toward you that's going to do the same thing for you again, whether you see it or not. God actually brings good out of the real evil that is there. Now, the third thing I want you to see is that we actually work together with God in bringing that about. Now, folks, we don't always. Sometimes God does it unilaterally, like in the cross. You know, we, we didn't make something good come out of that. God did that all by himself. But in most cases, if you want to see good come out of the evil that's in your life, God's expecting us to do something to that end to cooperate with him. 
Now, I know next to nothing about sailing a sailboat. So I'm not going to talk to you very long about sailing a sailboat. But I am going to tell you at least what I have been told. And that is, if a person knows what he or she is doing on one of those boats, if a contrary wind comes that's going in a direction they don't want to go, they are actually skilled and they adjust their sails to where the wind that was blowing against them actually ends up blowing them where they want to go. I don't know how that works, but that happens. What do they do? You see, here's the point. They can't help what way the wind's blowing. They have no control over that. But they can adjust their sails and cause that wind to work to their benefit. You see, when things happen in your life and mine, sometimes we can do absolutely nothing about it as far as stopping it from happening or preventing it from happening. We just couldn't do it. It happens to us. So what do we do? Folks, we have to make adjustments in our own lives and make sure that we've adjusted our sails in such a way that whatever happens to us works to our advantage. Now, that is what Joseph gives us a great example of, how he handled this evil that was put in his life. I want you to notice, first of all, it's what he did not do. In the middle of it all, he did not turn his back on God. When he got sold into slavery unjustly, unjustly accused, thrown in prison unjustly, he didn't say, well, I guess it just doesn't pay to serve God. You ever heard anybody say that? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I was trying to do what was right. You know, I, w- I was living for God and, and, and look what happened to me. It just doesn't pay to serve God. Let me say two things about that. First of all, it may not pay to serve God in the short run. It may actually cost you something. Happens a lot of times. It will pay in the long run. The second thing I want to point out about that is we're not supposed to serve God because it pays. We're supposed to serve God because he's worthy. And he's worthy in all circumstances. And Joseph was saying throughout this whole ordeal, God is good all the time. All the time. A lot of people, as soon as something happens in their life, they, they turn their back on God. And, and, and you, know, you know what that tells us? It, it actually tells us they weren't serving God, they were serving themselves. <laughs> everything was fine as long as everything was going to suit them. When they realized the world was not revolving around them, they weren't concerned about serving God anymore. And the scripture is clear with us over and over again that we will go through tribulations in this world and some of them will be even because we're believers doing what's right. And that's why the scripture says, why are you surprised when these kinds of things happen to you? So he didn't turn his back. On God, he, he trusted God through the whole thing because he knew the character of God and he knew the promises of God. Folks, it's the same character of God and the same promises of God that we've got today. We need to stand on them. You know what else he didn't do? Could have ruined the whole thing. He didn't seek revenge. He didn't seek revenge. Now, folks, that's natural in us. 
Why does the Bible tell us not to seek revenge? Because that's what our tendency is. That's why, <laughs> you know. If you see the Bible telling us not to do something, there's a reason for it. It means that. You know how the Bible never has to tell you to eat? You know that? So we're going to do that anyway. That's right. The Bible tells us and warns us about those things that we wouldn't do if he didn't tell us. We need to be warned about. It is our tendency to seek revenge. That's just who we are. Well, you've heard the saying by a secular mind, revenge is sweet. Friends, it may be for a short while, but it never is in the long run. Never is. He was willing to forgive. Folks, you know what? If you want to see a test of your faith, somebody, sometimes we wonder, I wonder how strong my faith really is. Here will be a test. When somebody has wronged you, you, you know what we sense, I want to get back at them because that's the just thing. That's fair for them to have to pay for what they did, for me to get back at them. But folks, God says, I'll settle it. Now, here's where the faith comes in. Do you really have the faith to believe God's going to take care of that? Yeah. See, what normally thinks, I've got to take care of it. Do you really have the faith in God to believe you can let it lay? Turn it loose. Let it alone. God really is going to take care of this. You don't have to. So that, that takes a matter of faith. I'm really willing to turn this over to God and let him take care of it. There's a third way he worked together with God here is that he forgave them. He said to his brothers back in chapter 45 and again here, I have forgiven you. But you know what? There, there's many ways to look at what forgiveness is. One way, it means it absorbs the hurt into yourself rather than pressing it back and reflecting it back on somebody. Somebody has hurt you. What do we want to do? Hurt them. I mean, in, in a sense, that's just, I mean, they deserve that, okay? Forgiveness is allowing that pain to be absorbed in yourself rather than be reflected onto somebody else, the person who really deserves it. And, and that's what he did. Now, Look, it's evident. And by the way, that's what the Bible tells us. Be ye kind one to another. Well, this was one of the earliest verses I learned in Sunday school. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiving one another. You say, but they don't deserve it. <laughs> that's why they need to be forgiven. <laughs> if they deserved it, they wouldn't need to be forgiven. When we fail, we don't deserve to be forgiven. But we need to be forgiven. That's the meaning of forgiveness. We don't deserve it. Nobody that you'll ever forgive deserved it. We don't do it because we deserve it. We do it because God tells us to do it. It's a righteous thing. And friend, listen. You are never more like God than when you're forgiving somebody that wronged you. There's so many ways we'll never be like God. But we can be like God in forgiving people who wronged us because that's exactly what God did for us in Christ. Now, you know when it's, you've come full circle in forgiveness, it's not, only, it's not only when you don't try to take advantage of them. He didn't try to take advantage. He had an opportunity. He didn't do it. That was a good sign that he really did forgive them. He told them, I don't want you to be afraid. You know you've come full circle 
in this forgiveness thing when you have absolutely been convinced by God and his word that what they did to me is not God's last word. God's not through with this. He's going to deal with it in them, and he's going to deal with it in me and make me a better person and allow me to grow in grace and experience something good that I would have never experienced. Folks, when we start looking for the good that's going to come out of the evil that somebody did to us, then we've come full circle in accepting the whole thing. We forgive because God forgives. That's his nature. To treat with grace people that are undeserving like you and like me. Friends, you know, none of this could possibly be true without there being one great characteristic of God, and that's he's in control. If you don't believe in a sovereign God who is in control, you can have no peace of anything happening in the world. Well, God couldn't help it. He's trying to correct it and doing the best he can. You know, no telling what's going to happen to me next, and God can't protect me. Friends, listen. God is in control, and you are in good hands with him. And he can take and will take whatever happens to you and make good come from it. Here's the thing, are you going to participate with him in doing that by responding properly to what happened with a complete trust and confidence in him? And in so doing, receive the joy that comes even, as strange as it sounds, the joy that comes from even from somebody bringing evil into your life. Folks, we have that kind of God. Man, as we sang those songs that Clay led us in, the choir led us in, that talked about praising God, glorifying him, his power, and I thought, man, that's the kind of God we have. And folks, if we don't, none of the things that I've said today can possibly be true. God is in control. He is wise. He is loving. He is good. Man, and he's our father. Blessed be his name. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your loving kindness and your tender mercies. Lord, we can say with the psalmist of old, they didn't start yesterday, that your goodness and mercy has followed us all the days of our lives. Lord, you are a God who is worthy of such worship, adoration, praise, because of who you are. Great things you have done. Lord, you have stood true to every promise that you've given to us. And Lord, we have to say as a congregation of, of your people, hallelujah, glory to the Lord our God and our Father. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith where we have failed to trust you. When things come into our lives that truly are evil, that, Lord, you call them evil, that, Lord, we have failed to trust you, that we haven't adjusted our sails, that, Lord, we've taken things into our own hands instead of trusting you through it all. Father, forgive us of that. Give us a fresh and a new glimpse of who you are, of your power and of your glory, and of, Lord, your uh, rightfulness to be trusted in all things. 
Lord, I thank you for this precious congregation of your people that are gathered here today. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we've had to worship you through our singing, Lord, through our praying, Lord, through our encouraging of one another in fellowship and through our hearing and responding to your word. Lord, I pray that in everything that we've done today, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts have been acceptable in your sight. Our Lord and our God, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.